Well, welcome everyone. I'm Dr. Carolyn Major. I'm an associate professor and the director of residency programs at the Oklahoma College of Optometry. So excited for you to join us today for a case presentation series on retinal vein occlusion. And we're gonna explore some of the differential diagnoses and testing that you might want to do in order to say, is this a retinal vein occlusion or something else? This first case is entitled retinal vein occlusion or macular degeneration. And this is a 70 year old female. She's coming in complaining of some blurry vision and decreased vision in the left eye for about two to three months time frame. Her medical history is remarkable for hypertension, her in-office BP a little elevated at 131 over 83. She also has type 2 diabetes that's fairly well controlled, as well as sleep apnea, high cholesterol, and kidney disease. So a lot of vascopathic risk factors present. Her best corrected visual acuity was reduced in the left eye to 2150. Her magnified color fundus photography shows very clearly that there's a macular hemorrhage that's predominantly located intraretinally and because it's striated along with the nerve fiber layer. It also blocks our view of the underlying retinal blood vessels so that we know it's more superficial. It also looks like there may be some subretinal hemorrhage as well and also some central subretinal fluid, kind of that little blister appearance that we're getting. There's also reduced AV ratio or generalized arterial attenuation with some mild AV nicking consistent with hypertensive retinopathy. The OCT raster scan going through the superior macula shows some hyperreflective inner retinal thickening with posterior shadowing that's consistent with that interretinal hemorrhage that we just saw, predominantly located in the nerve fiber layer. And then the OCT raster scans going through the center of the fovea and inferior aspects of the macula show us some intraretinal cystic fluid as well as subretinal fluid and also some hyperreflective material within that subretinal space. That's probably some subretinal hemorrhage or some proteinaceous type of exudate material. Note that the RPE layer is intact and of normal contour. Here is a six millimeter OCT angiography scan centered on the macula here in the left eye. There's a dark area of blockage due to that hemorrhage and that blockage area is a little bit greater in the outer retina chorocapillaris slab, which is on the right hand side of the slide there, compared to the superficial preset, which is in the middle. The superficial inner retinal capillary telangiectasias are clearly visible in the superior nasal macular region, which really helped clinch the diagnosis of a vein occlusion in this case. Looking at the outer retinal choriocapillaris preset is important, however, to make sure that there is no choroidal or subretinal neovascular membrane, then this could be uh, exudative macular degeneration. But fortunately, in this case, we do not see any choroidal neovascularization present on that outer retinal preset. With the presence of a macular hemorrhage and subretinal fluid, exudative AMD needs to be very high on your list of differentials. So let's discuss ways that we can try and differentiate between retinal venous occlusion and macular degeneration. Look for the presence of drusen in the affected or the fellow eye that would be suggestive of macular degeneration. How old is the patient? Are they in an age range that you would expect AMD? Where's the location of the hemorrhage? So if it's due to macular degeneration, it's usually more subretinal or sub-RPE versus in a retinal venous occlusion, usually the hemorrhaging is more intraretinal, more superficial in the inner retina. 
Also look at the retinal veins for dilation and tortuosity, which is one of the hallmark features of retinal vein occlusion. Structural OCT features can also help you distinguish between retinal vein occlusion and exudative AMD. So looking for drusen on the OCT, but then paying close attention to the RPE. If there's a pigment epithelial detachment, that's likely macular degeneration with sub-RPE neovascularization. In cases of type 2 or subretinal choroidal neovascularization, which is the far right-hand side of the slide here, you may actually be able to visualize the membrane on structural OCT as a hyperreflective mass sitting on top of the RPE, which is not what we see in our case. OCT angiography is more definitive in allowing us to clinch the diagnosis because it allows us to directly visualize choroidal neovascular membranes from macular degeneration. So here in the top row on the slide, we're looking at an example of a retinal vein occlusion, which is the case we've been discussing. And in the bottom row, we're looking at the uh, example of exudative macular degeneration. So in exudative macular degeneration, we're gonna to expect to see abnormal blood vessels or choroidal neovascularization in the outer retina choriocapillaris, which corresponds to a breakdown of the outer blood retinal barrier. And we definitely see that in the location of the red arrow there in the bottom right hand of the slide. Versus our case of a retinal venous occlusive disease, we have abnormal dilated telangiectatic vessels in the superficial capillary plexus or the inner retina. Recall that a retinal venous occlusion is a breakdown of the inner blood retinal barrier. So the OCT angiography features here at the yellow arrow really clinch that diagnosis of a vein occlusion versus macular degeneration. So our assessment for this case was a twig or macular retinal vein occlusion with macular edema. We decided to refer this patient for anti-VEGF therapy to a retina specialist, which is first-line therapy for macular edema, complicating a retinal venous occlusion of any sort. And the referral timeframe would be preferably within like one to two weeks in this case. Also communicating with the PCP, the importance of tight control of vasculopathic risk factors, especially hypertension, also letting them know that patients with retinal venous occlusive disease have a higher risk of cardiovascular disease and stroke. And then changing diuretics to another hypertensive medication if possible. This next case is a 73-year-old female referred to me in the retina clinic at the school for an evaluation of what they thought was diabetic macular edema in the left eye. And she also complains of some blurry, hazy vision in the left eye for about one month or so. Her ocular history is remarkable for primary open angle glaucoma suspect, uh, for which she's not doing any sort of therapy at the moment. Her medical history is remarkable for hypertension, and her blood pressure in office was slightly elevated at 147 over 76. She also has type 2 diabetes that's fairly well controlled with an A1C of 6.7%. She did have some mild reduction in the best corrected vision in the left eye, which she was complaining of, right, of 20-30. And her IOPs are slightly elevated at 21 in the right, 20 in the left. As we can see on her OCT imaging, she has macular edema that's unilateral, so only in the left eye, and then slightly decentered inferiorly. This is the color fundus photograph, ultra wide field of the right eye. And there are no signs of diabetic retinopathy, such as intraretinal hemorrhaging, cotton wool spots, etc. However, there is some non-macular drusen there in the superior arcade. 
But the absence of diabetic retinopathy is kind of steering us away from perhaps diabetic macular edema. Here is the color fundus photograph of the left eye. We can see that there are dilated tortuous veins as well as a few intraretinal dot hemorrhages, but it's all localized to the inferior half of the fundus. Whereas we would expect diabetic retinopathy to cause hemorrhaging that's more diffuse in various quadrants. We also wouldn't expect the pathologic retinal findings to be just in one eye, right, in diabetic retinopathy. So this is really pointing us towards a hemiretinal vein occlusion that probably occurred, or the thrombosis actually occurred at an AV crossing site on the disc surface. So our diagnosis was an inferior hemiretinal vein occlusion with some very mild macular edema. Did discuss with her the possibility of referring to retina for consideration of anti-VEGF therapy, but by the time she went to the retinal appointment for the consult, the macular edema had actually resolved on its own. Another really important point in this case is doing a full glaucoma workup, including gonioscopy. Consider lowering intraocular pressure in patients with retinal venous occlusive disease. Uh, even if you don't think they have glaucoma, but the pressure is high, that may be valuable. But we know there's a close association, right, between glaucoma and retinal vein occlusions. So do your due diligence in working up for that. And then this last case is a 54-year-old female who noticed a light flash in the right eye, followed by some constant sort of splotchy vision that occurred approximately two weeks ago. Her medical history is remarkable for a recent diagnosis of hypertension, and she openly admits to us poor medication compliance because she thinks if she starts hypertensive meds, she'll never be able to get off of them and she'll be on them for life. Her best corrected vision in the right eye is excellent at 20-20, despite her complaints of kind of blotchiness and scotomas. Her blood pressure was significantly elevated in office at 154 over 106. Remember, she's not really taking her meds. And her IOPs are borderline high at 20 bilaterally. The dilated fundus examination of the left eye, which I don't have here, just revealed a large CD ratio, along with some hypertensive vascular changes, but no retinal hemorrhaging. And then the right eye here that we see the ultra-wide-filled color fundus photograph shows us significant scattered blot hemorrhaging in the periphery, especially temporal periphery. There's also some disc and peripapillary intraretinal flame hemorrhages, as well as a large cup-to-disc ratio. So in cases of predominantly peripheral and asymmetric hemorrhaging, we need to have ocular ischemic syndrome in our list of differentials, in addition to central retinal vein occlusion. So let's think about those two differentials and compare and contrast them. Again, when you're presented with asymmetric retinopathy, you need to think about ocular ischemic syndrome number one, central retinal vein occlusion number two. And we would expect vision loss from a central retinal vein occlusion to be rather sudden compared to vision loss from ocular ischemic syndrome, which would be more gradual in onset. And remember, our patient complained of rather sudden vision loss consistent with a retinal vein occlusion. So let's compare and contrast ocular ischemic syndrome and central retinal vein occlusion, uh, looking at the fundus features, an imagery type of perspective. The first thing to look at is the optic nerve head. We know the optic nerve head is usually slightly edematous in a central retinal vein occlusion, whereas in ocular ischemic syndrome, it's usually normal or pale in appearance due to chronic ischemia and decreased perfusion to the eye. The second thing to look at is the retinal veins. 
In both of these conditions, the veins will be dilated. However, in a central retinal vein occlusion, they're tortuous, right? One of the hallmark features of a vein occlusion. Whereas in ocular ischemic syndrome, they're usually non-tortuous. And then looking at the hemorrhaging shape. In ocular ischemic syndrome, it's usually blot-shaped hemorrhages, whereas central retinal vein occlusion, it's usually a combination of flame and blot hemorrhaging. Macular edema is common in central retinal vein occlusion, but is rare in ocular ischemic syndrome. Also, look at the nerve for collateral vessels. If there's optic nerve collateral vessels, that's usually consistent with a late-stage central retinal vein occlusion and not ocular ischemic syndrome. So let's bring this back now, this information back to our patient and wrap it up. Remember, she did complain of sudden onset vision loss and has poorly controlled hypertension, both things suggestive of central retinal vein occlusion. She had some peripapillary flame hemorrhages that were within the nerve fiber layer, more consistent with the central retinal vein occlusion, also had optic nerve edema and uh, disc hemorrhaging consistent with a central retinal vein occlusion. It's likely non-ischemic at the moment, right? Given that she had good vision of 20-20, no APD. And so our plan for this patient was to educate on the importance of tight hypertension control and med compliance. Also communicated to the PCP those same things, that we really need to get the blood pressure under control so that we don't end up with a central retinal vein occlusion in the fellow eye. Also communicating to the PCP the higher risk of cardiovascular disease and stroke in patients with retinal venous occlusive disease and changing diuretics to other hypertensive medications if possible. Similar to the last case, you can see this patient has a large cup to disc ratio, borderline high IOPs, definitely appropriate to bring her back for a full primary open angle glaucoma evaluation, including gonioscopy to screen for neo in the angle and looking at the iris undilated prior to uh, dilation to look for iris neovascularization. And we asked her to follow up in one month to monitor the central retinal vein occlusion, make sure it didn't convert to an ischemic form. So the take home message in these series of cases, utilize multimodal imaging to help you in challenging cases, differentiate between retinal venous occlusive disease and other mimicking diseases such as macular degeneration, diabetic retinopathy, and ocular ischemic syndrome. The hallmark features of an acute central retinal vein occlusion include unilateral and localized sectoral, if it's a branch retinal vein occlusion, intraretinal hemorrhaging, cotton wool spots, dilated tortuous veins. Macular edema is a common complication of twig or macular vein occlusions. First line therapy is intravitreal anti-VEGF. You should refer to retina for that. And then retinal venous occlusion, especially central retinal vein occlusion, is associated with primary open angle glaucoma. For me, in my perspective, a patient that's had a retinal vein occlusion becomes an automatic glaucoma suspect until proven otherwise. I think everyone with a retinal vein occlusion deserves a full glaucoma workup and lower the intraocular pressure if it's elevated. Okay, thank you.